0: Good morning, it is Danger Dan here in the talk shop uh, from the parking garage at the Golden Nugget. Just walked out here to make sure the race bikes made it through the night. Uh, the Pan is out here. Me, Nick, and was drove through, the well we didn't drive through the night, no no no, we slept like four hours. We drove from Texas up here, got in yesterday morning, and uh, man, Vegas is fucking happening, dude. Uh, The NFR is going on. It just starts today. Um, People keep asking me what event I'm competing in because I found my fucking cowboy hat. So that was sweet. That was in New Mexico. But, uh, man, I got a good show for you today. I meant to do this intro yesterday and got carried away just driving, 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 driving. Uh, When I was in Ohio for Fuel Cleveland, visiting my friends Pat and the rest of the DDR fellas. uh, uh, And Gary. Gary took me to Cycle Electric headquarters where I got to take a tour of the facility And check out everything that they do to build the baddest fucking charging systems available for your Harley-Davidson V-Twin. And uh, I got to meet Carl, the owner, the founder of Cycle Electric. And we sat down and recorded this podcast. And his son Nick was there for it. And it was... uh, Dude, it was one of the toughest podcasts I've ever recorded. After taking a tour of their facility, uh, I was just... I was just mind blown. Like, I guess I just hadn't put that much thought into everything that goes on and meeting all the people that work there, seeing everything that's done. It was just a really cool experience. And, you know, I learned something, too, about, you know, doing a podcast with somebody I've never met or communicated with. It's very tough, you know, like we didn't have much time to interact. Anyways, you'll hear it. But we get through it and he tells some cool stories about how the company started, about riding motorcycles, and uh, and then I also recorded a podcast with his son, Nick, separately, so that'll be out soon. Uh, but let's get into it. By extermination day, thank you, Zach. Check out heavy clothing at heavy.bigcartel.com. So, here in Vegas, dude, and um, today we got tech inspection. Right? We did the parade yesterday. I got to ride the Iron Head down, I guess it was Las Vegas. I don't know what road it was. It was the strip. We rode down the fucking strip. It was sick. Awash jumped on the Pan America, rode the Pan America in the parade. Uh, everybody's showed, well, not everybody. Uh, Brian Helm got in. He rode in from New York on his bike. Carlos flew in yesterday. Uh, Randall Wiley, he'll be in today. And uh, man, that's pretty much the crew, right? We got like, oh, and Zach and Jamie from Idaho Falls, Harley Davidson. Came down, they're gonna shoot some video for us. So, dude, it's a it's quite the fucking production, man. And uh we got tech inspection today. I think everything is gonna, you know. If it's anything like the last time we did this, they're more shocked that we're willing to ride a giant Harley Davidson in the desert. And they don't really, you know, they ain't looking at much. They're just stoked like we are. So a lot of the racers came in yesterday. Dude, it was good We recorded a podcast on the way here Me, Nick, and was, And he just talked shit about uh, The podcast he did with Jace The whole time For two hours That kid just rambled on No, I'm just kidding Uh, But was did lose his job He got fired multiple times on the way here And rehired right now He's on good terms So Hopefully he can keep up With that good attitude The rest of the weekend And uh, Dude, we're gonna have a great time uh, and I'll, you know, do a further update after more happens. But uh, this show is brought to you by mcshopteas.com, your t-shirt of the month club, the only way to support every local motorcycle shop. Holidays are coming up, man. Buy your loved ones a gift. I know they love motorcycles, dude. Or maybe your kid. Maybe you want to get your kid something that keeps on giving, dude. Mcshopteas.com. It's like a, t- it's like a magazine subscription, except for you get a t-shirt. This month we're featuring, we, we're featuring Burke's V Twins out of Tiverton, Rhode Island. Uh, Richard from, uh, formerly known as, from VNM, did some badass artwork, and it's a, it's a fucking mermaid on a chopper, dude. Yeah, it's fucking sick. Uh, it's really fucking cool. So. But it's too late. You didn't sign up. You were supposed to be signed up before the 1st, and you're not. So I don't know what to tell you. But if you sign up now, you won't miss next month's shirt, and possibly you'll have a chance at buying one of these leftovers over tees. All right, we got a guy pulling up on a motorcycle at the motorcycle parking on a KLR. Sick, dude. He looks like he was on an adventure. But uh, check out mcshoptees.com. You can also sign up at DangerDanceTalkShop.com to become a Patreon, dude. Donate five bucks a month and you get a chance at winning some badass shit. Literally this week, the next intro I do with a computer in front of me, I'm giving away a badass sign that my buddy Tattoo, Troubadour Allen Wayne nickels built out of wood, metal, and leather. It is bitching. It's a danger zone sign. Somebody's gonna win that, dude. After that, I'm gonna give away... A sportster tank I got from Lowbrow Customs that Chemical Candy Customs painted some flames on. it. super rad. And speaking of Lowbrow Customs, those badass motherfuckers give away a $100 gift card every single month, dude. For any any contribution on Patreon, get you in there to win. $100 gift card from Lowbrow Customs. And then to finish out, 2021, I'm giving away a shovelhead motor. Built by Boston Billy at b and Racing out of Metairie, Louisiana. The same guys that build my chopper motor every time I fucking smoke it, dude. And what I think, let's see. I guess they've only done it twice now. Yeah, and this last time, I fucking broke it in without any oil. And I think I'm at like 13,000 miles and the motherfucker's running great. And I did drop the whole fucking thing in a giant mud puddle the other week. Picked it up. Kicked it, started it, and rode out of that fucking mud puddle. It was insane. But um, Boston Billy built a shovelhead motor, and one of my lucky Patreons is going to win it. And if you didn't get signed up before the first, it's too fucking late. So get signed up because we got bigger and badder fucking prices coming in next year. I got some sweet ideas, and I can't wait to share them with you. But let's get through this one. I want to thank Low Customs. Fuck, we've given away $1,200 worth of gift cards this year, which is fucking awesome. I think this is the second year, so that's $2,400 we've given away to you um, for helping me and keep this show on the road, and I do appreciate it. It's super fucking rad. Lobra also uh, jumped in, and they're going to be giving away gift cards and uh, swag bags to all the shops we feature with MC Shop Tees, which is super fucking rad. Uh, so, it's a beautiful thing. Now, let's I'm going to skip dates today, and we're going to go directly into this podcast. I want to thank everybody here supporting me at the men, everybody back home supporting me. I want to thank you for all the birthday wishes I've already gotten this morning. Yeah, I just turned 37 today and uh, spending it in Vegas, and we got the day off tomorrow. So we're going to take it easy. We got a race on Saturday, man. We can't be fucking around. This ain't a hooligan. Oh, it is a hooligan race. Um, dude, I can't wait to go ride my Pan Am in the dirt, too. Fuck. So stoked to have it back. So fucking stoked to have it back. Anyways, let's get into this podcast with, uh, Carl and Nick, Farringer, and then the whole time Gary's sitting there just looking at me like I'm saying the wrong thing. Literally, the whole fucking time, Gary's just like, it's not what I would have said. Should have said this, just with his eyes. He doesn't say much. Next time, Gary, you'll have a fucking microphone on so you can say anything you want to, okay? Thanks for making this happen. Love you guys. Oh, yeah, and make sure you check out Pat at LedSledCustoms.com, dude. American manufactured, just like the guys at Cycle Electric. The, the Dayton crew is fucking off the charts. Anyways, right here. Carl, thanks for having me out. Welcome. This is, a, this is a nice spot you got here. There's a lot that goes into making these bars. And I guess my naive mind just didn't, you know, put it all together. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of machines in there. When you started, did you, I mean, what'd you do before this?
1: I was a motorcycle mechanic.
0: Just making, turning wrenches? Yep. Did you do that here in Dayton? I did. Yeah?
1: A place called Joe's Cycle Shop.
0: Joe's Cycle Shop.
1: Yeah.
0: All makes and models, or?
1: Uh, Yamaha, Voltaco, at the time. Yeah? They got into
0: Triumphs. What year was this?
1: 80, 81. I started Cycle Electric in 1982.
0: Okay, my favorite dirt bike is my 77 XT500. That's a fun one. All right. You've worked on one of those before, haven't
1: you? I've got a 77 DT400.
0: Oh, nice. That's the two-stroke, right? Yep,
1: yep. It hasn't run in many years. No? But I still have it.
0: When's the last time you rode it?
1: Oh. One day the uh, transmission came out the bottom of the Sportster, and I rode it for about six months as a main ride for...
0: Really? <laughs> Played it on the street,
2: huh?
1: Yeah, and that was... Uh... Man, Nick was a little kid then. So, 25 years ago?
0: Oh, yeah, you were a little kid then. <laughs> uh, what happened to your Sportster, dude? I, I thought those were indestructible.
1: <laughs> this was a uh, uh, Ironhead Sportster, 79, and... Uh, They weren't as indestructible.
0: No, no. I'm racing an 86. It's like the last year Ironhead at the Mint 400 in a few weeks. And really we're just hoping to get it through that race. We'll see what happens. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, We'll see. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but a DT400 and 82, where are we at? So in 82, you started electric. Yes. Now, was it specifically for Harley parts? Like, I mean, that's all you do now, right? Like all these generators and alternators or...
2: Yes. Harleys,
0: you don't make them for any other brands?
1: Uh, American V-Twins. There's a, a lot of... Uh, uh, anything that uses the Harley-style motor, Yeah. our stuff will fit. Uh, We do old Indians, uh, old and medium Indians.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, We don't do the new Indians. No. How did you get get into charging systems? Well, uh, my dad owned a company that uh, made generators for uh, Harley-Davidson. It's interesting because... AMF owned uh, Harley-Davidson and then they owned another company in Vandalia, Ohio and in Harley-Davidson's infinite wisdom they uh, moved the charging or the manufacturing the generator out of uh, Wisconsin to Vandalia and then uh, my dad wound up buying the plant in Vandalia and uh, Harley-Davidson got divorced from AMF so... uh, Leland was selling generators to Harley. And when Harley quit buying them, it was a dead product line. So I said, I think I know what to do with that. So I bought all the uh, uh, machinery and tooling and uh, started making generators. And, uh, so it
0: just started with the generators. Yep.
1: And as it turns out, every generator needs a regulator.
2: Yeah.
1: And a bad regulator will destroy a generator. Uh, Our generator was getting a bad name. There were Chinese generators, or at the time, Taiwanese generators, uh, Asian generators on the market that were pretty poorly built. Um, But there were a lot of cheap regulators. Uh, If you, faulty regulation will burn out a generator in 20 minutes. And so there were cheap regulators giving our generator a bad name. So we started uh, making regulators and uh, which led to the generator with built-in regulator down the road, and... uh,
0: When did you first do that, combine the two?
1: 1992. Okay. So it was 10 years into it.
0: Yeah. When did you start doing the alternators?
1: Uh, Well, eventually we got into uh, rectifying regulators for the alternator bikes, because everything went alternator. And then in uh, somewhere in the mid 90s, we started buying stators from the people that made them for Harley. And uh, we got tired of teaching them how to make stators. We were continually improving them. And uh, so we decided it'd be easier to make them ourselves. Yeah. So it was uh, about 2005 that uh, we started making our own stators. Oh,
0: wow. So when like as like what's the latest model that you make a product for now?
1: Uh, sixteen, maybe some seventeen. So. Well, yeah, uh, we don't do anything for the Milwaukee Eight yet. Okay. So the uh, the dressers did that in sixteen, and then the uh, I believe the Dyna and softtail went in seventeen.
0: Gotcha. So like when you're so like, are you working on doing one for the eight, or is it something? It's
3: been on the drawing board for longer than it should be.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you, how does, like I've always wondered how companies go about that. Do the aftermarket companies just have to go out and buy the, the new bike and then disassemble it, or do they just you wait till you get the calls, people are having problems, and then you know where to dive and to examine what's going wrong with the new products?
1: Well, it is uh, uh, it is nice to see that they're going to use a product for several years before oh, yeah, yeah, making sense. the tooling. Um, a, um, a die cast for a regulator housing is maybe $20,000. The uh, die for a, uh, a lamination can be eighty thousand dollars.
0: Yeah, so you gotta know that you're gonna be able to recoup that. And the Milwaukee
3: eight yeah. is a totally different piece of tooling and it takes twice as much tooling because of the way that the stator for the alternator is shaped.
0: So So do they do that because I mean is it a better design, the way that the new one works or the, the Milwaukee
1: eight from what I know about it appears to have a pretty nice charging system on it. It does.
0: Yeah.
3: But they are failing and they're calling us.
1: They are. They are. <laughs> the calls are starting to come in.
0: Who calls? Like the, uh, the shops that are working on these bikes or the, the De- dealers? Dealers. Yep. Because they're the ones. We, we
1: try on not to deal bikes. with the general public unless they have our product and have a problem.
0: I apologize. You have them deal with me right now. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I mean, dude, there's a lot going on back there. I can't imagine. Dealing with every every dude that thinks he's got a problem with his generator. Do you uh, so like I have an old generator? Do you rebuild um, the old generators? Is that a service you guys we, provide?
1: We, we go through our generators.
0: You go through yours.
1: Yeah. Uh, on the it started to offer. See, we're really just set up to make new. We're not set up to rebuild.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, and so. in for us, it's easier to make a new one than it is to mess with going through an old one.
0: Troubleshooting another one, another one? yeah. Uh,
1: when we started making the DGV5000, the generator with built-in regulator, a lot of people don't understand it. And, in fact, at this point, uh, most people that understand the generators have retired, moved on. Uh, it's a pretty simple unit, but... Uh, it used to be, every Harley used a generator, <clears throat> so uh, most everybody was familiar with them. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: but the generator built-in regulator is just a little bit different, so we offer a, a service. Uh, we give it a two-year guarantee, so for the first two years, if it gives you any trouble, we fix it for free. And then after that, we charge $25 plus parts to go through it, just as a service.
0: Yeah, that seems easy.
1: So it should be the last generator you ever need to buy.
0: That's awesome because I got one. <clears throat> I don't want to buy another one unless I have to. <laughs> yeah, I got a I got the generator on my 59, and then I've got your charging system for my the 94 Sportster as well. And that was quite a bit different than the stock charging system that was on that bike with the big uh what's that, the regulator up front with the cooling fins. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? The, I mean, it's just a b- bigger setup than what I had on. You got, did dog. you get the
3: three phase upgrade kit?
0: Probably, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So
1: oh, okay. The, the regulator you put on is larger. Yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. You went with a three phase system then?
0: Yeah, I guess so. I, it, it it shocked me how big it was, actually. But yeah. I was in a pinch. It was in Sturgis, and it was exactly what I needed at that time. You got me home. Okay. Yeah.
1: So that's, uh, that's good for people using uh, uh, heated clothing or putting a lot of lights on. Or it, It's a larger, it has yeah. l- more output.
0: I don't have any of that heated clothing. I <laughs> no, don't know about that. Sometimes I wish I did.
1: Well, if you need it down the road, you've got the capacity for it. Well,
0: that's good to know. I mean, I, lights are one thing I probably should add more to my bike. What I found, though, is when I did get brighter lights and I could see all the deer on the side of the road. that freaked me out more than not knowing they were there. You know, like just seeing right in front of me and not being aware of all the animals makes me feel better. We're
3: gonna invent a word for that, peripheral intimidation.
0: Peripheral intimidation, alright. I go faster
3: at night in the woods on a dirt bike. Really? Just just cause all I see is what's in front of me.
1: Reminds me of a story when I was riding in the snow on my DT400 and Came around down a hill around a corner, and some deer jumped out in front of me, and I hit the brake, and the headlight runs off the engine on that. Oh, yeah. And so when I locked up the rear wheel, the headlight stopped, and just as the headlight went dead, one of the deer, the feet were coming out from underneath him right in the middle of the road. I guess he decided to turn around, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) And he was going down, and uh, it all went pitch black, and by the time I got the, I played with the shifter and the clutch till I got the motor spinning again. By the time the headlight came on, I was still on the road and the deer, there was no sign of deer. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> and I went up to the bar and I tried to explain this to people and they just didn't seem to understand. Well, I was all excited.
0: <laughs> so does that DT, does it have a battery? Yes, uh,
1: to keep the tail light going. And uh, uh, okay. it had a, a little battery. But it'll it'll run without it.
0: Yeah, so that's my XT. It has a battery, but even when the battery's fresh and charged, the headlight still kind of runs off the throttle, or you know, like the RPMs. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's an AC headlight.
0: Yeah, it runs off. I mean, I guess, yeah, I don't know, whatever the magic behind the flywheel. The magnetos. Yeah. And the, the starter comes out of there, too. Yeah, I don't, man, really this electrical stuff is like so beyond me. Uh, the coils, how the, how the electricity is generated from, the magnets. I mean, it's all really fascinating. Did your dad, when he, when you were learning, does, did he teach you? Did you go to school someplace to like put all this together? Is it more common sense than I'm able to grasp?
1: Oh, kind of school of hard knocks, I guess.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you do any of that with like you're on your dirt bikes now? Do uh, you guys mess around? I don't really need those charging systems.
1: Oh, uh, back in the day on the DT four hundred, I did rewind my uh, charging coil. Yeah, but uh, I seem to be talking about this bike a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like dirt bike. Well,
1: it's it sat there for twenty five years and, <laughs> and and now we've talked about it more answer. than
0: you have in a while. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did you ride that out there at yeah. the, uh, the DDR place where you were at last it's night? It's been out there. Yeah? Yeah. And you've been riding out there for how long? Uh, <laughs>
1: since 1988.
0: 88. And what about before you? You said that people have been riding their bikes out there for a long time.
1: Yeah, um, well Dayton Motorcycle Club used to use their, uh, that was their club ground. They moved across the street uh, you probably didn't see their. Uh, their we club went to room. the track. Okay. We looked at that. Okay. Uh, a lady. And that's uh, totally
0: separate than.
1: Yes, that's a different different club.
0: Different group, okay.
1: And uh, the uh, a lady owned that, and she was gonna she wanted to stay for motorcycle use. Uh, and a guy named Ben Olive got together, got a bunch of people together and started the Stony Hollow Corporation and bought the land in 1984, 1974, I believe, for, uh, to keep it for motorcycle use. And- uh,
0: 74. What was it before that? It was a, they said it was a dump?
1: I believe it was a landfill at one time. A landfill parts of it
0: yeah
3: did you not notice riding through well that is covered in leaves but there's hills you can climb and there's forks and bottles sticking out
0: see there was a lot of leaves out there yesterday like i mean
3: it's a it's a special time out there but traditionally there's certain hill climbs you'll climb you'll there's like molten plastics have like oozed out of the hill and hardened there's there's lots of bottles it's like little like plastic baby arms sticking out of the ground it's
0: I didn't get to see any of that. It's interesting. I saw some concrete structures that look like, you know, where they were at in the trees, they had had to have been there a long time.
3: Yeah. Yeah. This place has history. There's things probably dumped there before EPA, too, so. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Sometimes we wonder if we don't glow at night anymore riding there.
0: I mean, there's probably things glowing out there at night.
3: I haven't seen it. I've been out there at night, but. No? It's just a thought.
0: Well, there was, I mean, the uh, the concrete pad up top was a clubhouse before that? Yes. Not for dirt bikes though.
1: Uh, well, there was a motorcycle club that uh, frequented it. Most of the members were a member of a, of a street club. And there weren't very many dirt riders there, but uh, they paid the bills. Yeah. And it was kind of an after hours bar. And uh, supposedly the guy down the road that had a bar, there was a bar at the end of the end of the road. And uh, supposedly he burned it down. That's one way
0: to get rid of the competition. he didn't like the
1: competition, yeah.
0: <clears> he <throat> burned it down. And that was the end of that.
1: Yep. Huh. And uh, that's about the time that the uh, Miami Valley Trail Riders was the club that was running it. And they went defunct after their building went away. And that's when uh, they were gonna sell the land because they had nobody to pay their, uh, oh, actually, that's when Dayton Dirt Riders was formed to continue to start renting the land uh, because the the Stony Hollow Corporation had no tenant and they were gonna have to sell the land. So uh, the current club was formed at that time.
0: Gotcha. And how many members are in this club?
1: A hundred, right? yeah there's uh there's a cap at a 100 and we run around that there's a cap yep
0: once you get to a 100 that's it Yeah. and everybody pays dues yep just a monthly payment to keep the land there
1: yep uh it's an annual due
0: annual due now do you own it
1: uh the stony Hollow corporation owns it okay and there's several stockholders in the stony Hollow corporation
0: gotcha Wow. I'd love to f- find some place like that around where I'm at. You know, there's a lot of, there's not a, there's really no public land out in Texas to ride. There's a couple of facilities here and there, but.
1: Yeah, the only place I've ridden in Texas was uh, Sam Houston, State or National Forest.
0: Okay, that's down there just north of uh, Houston, isn't it?
3: That was the National where we went to in yeah. 2005.
1: Boy, I'll tell you what, those guys take their barbecue serious. They do. They really do. <laughs> they were supposed to be a practice track, but uh, they were having a barbecue cook-off. These guys pull up in semis that open up into barbecue pits.
0: <laughs> yeah. They just scheduled that the same day as the practice?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> but it turned out okay because uh, everybody donated a piece of brisket to the mm-hmm. uh, library that they were building. And uh, for $5, you could get a plate of food. It was hard to finish. <laughs>
0: That's pretty awesome. So you tra- did you travel around and race a lot?
1: Yep, yeah. Used to, uh, used to do the uh, District 11 and the National Enduros. District
0: 11.
3: That was the Southern Ohio region. Okay. Yeah.
0: So how many, like, I mean, is there a lot of races a year in those series?
1: Oh, District 11 used to have uh, like 20 races a year, but they've been at 10 or below for probably the last 15 years. Just
0: in Southern Ohio, 20 races. That seems like a lot of places to ride. When I flew in, it just seemed like flat farmland for most of it.
1: Yeah, well, we're in uh, Central Central Western
0: Ohio here. Gotcha. I guess when I came out of the south, we'd already
3: passed Southern Ohio. Yeah. yeah, we'd say Southern. It's kind of, you go South, Southeast, you get into the foothills of Appalachians, and and that's where most of the Enduros traditionally would have been held. There's one in Greenville, which is 20 minutes north of here, here in a week and a half. That's what like, you were talking about. That's our local, yeah, Enduro. Yeah. Um, You've started that race was it 40, 40 times up till now?
0: Yep. Yeah. Damn! Forty
3: consecutive.
0: Forty starts. years in a row, you started that race. Yep. yep. You gonna start it next week?
3: <sighs> I've just coming off a of back surgery here, and this might have been that sure. part where we said there's parts we don't talk about.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: This might be the.
1: That's, uh, I haven't thrown my leg over a dirt bike since January.
0: Damn it! That's almost as long as as Gary here, huh? <laughs>
1: I hear it was there that night.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was.
1: Yeah. Or I couldn't hardly get off the bike <laughs> after I got done and Yeah.
3: So Greenville's the local legendary race. It's been a national sanctioned event at times. It was just notorious because of the way they make it difficult being surrounded by cornfields is riding the rugged or nasty land between the fields. So the tradition, there used to be a lot of peat bogs, manure, you know, rock piles, mm-hmm. high-speed road road or field sections, coming out of cold creeks and then racing across fields, a lot of bikes would seize up. Because it's always in November, I mean, it's, it could snow, it's cold, it's colder. Yeah. But most of the Southern Ohio racers are in the foothills of the Appalachians, which are a little that was, more...
1: That was my first race, I was telling
3: you about. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Greenville's nice to have local, but Southern Ohio, you have a two to four hour drive to get to the hills, and that's where I grew up racing. Is in that that region.
0: How's that terrain compared to what I rode yesterday?
3: I mean, I mean, obviously we didn't here have corn here, here in Dayton, <laughs> since because it's kind of it's in the town of Moraine, which is a geological feature in all itself, kind of a depositive of glacial deposits, but then half of it's a, a old dump, so it's just irregular as all hell. Mm-hmm. And it's it's highly ridden, and it's morphed, and it's healed, and it's torn up again, so it's pretty unique here. And it, anybody that can ride well in Dayton at our club can ride at least decent anywhere else what I've found in the world because I've ridden all over. Oh, no
2: shit.
3: So while it's not the biggest, it's a lot of concentrated gnar, so if you go to Southern Ohio, if you can ride to Dayton, you can ride Southern Ohio pretty well. Sweet. And if you spend time in Southern Ohio riding, it's slippery red clay. There's quick climbs, some decent climbs, rock roots. Um, that translates to most anywhere else in the country, I mean, except for like sand and, and big boulders.
0: Yeah, there's no sand up here, huh?
3: No. So when I go to Texas, that's, that's kind of like going to Mars for me, like where you're at. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, that's out further sure. west.
1: For, yeah. ye- for years, yeah. traditionally, the enduro champion came out of uh, District 11.
0: Really? Like the national champion? Yep. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. I mean, it tested me right at what we rode yesterday. But that was, you know, I impressed myself. Well, that's I why we pick would... picked that bike up more.
3: When I mm-hmm. met you guys, when I showed up and came down that street, and you guys were looking up at the hill, Pat said you were getting around well. I was like, well, that's... Says something because most people, even experienced riders, come there and they say, "Forget this," and they pack up and they're out.
0: Dude, if I would have been able to catch my breath while they were talking about the waterfall, I probably would have tried to nip that one in the butt. But <laughs> next thing you know, we're going down a waterfall. Yeah, those those are some pretty big ledges. Yeah. And they got so far in front of me, I wasn't seeing the line that they went down. And once I got to the edge, it was like that's where I'm going off of it. You know.
3: That's a bit cruel.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that was good though. I mean it was It's. I really needed that too. I haven't been right as much as I should be, especially since I'm racing in a couple weeks. I'm definitely not in shape for that at all. so it'll be brutal. It'll be real brutal. So where's the closest sand to you? Is that just coming to Texas?
3: Ah, uh, I mean, there's Michigan. sand in Indiana and in Michigan, so you know i that's where after racing locally. Dad took me to the National Series in 03, 05, 05. Heck, I don't remember.
1: Oh, 05. Yeah. Wow.
3: And. Uh,
0: How old were you then?
3: I was. Uh, I think I was 15 because so I got in trouble because for Enduros, you have to have road legality. You got to be able to ride on the road. Really? And I was not there yet. And after collecting points, I was or protesting.
0: Did let them know about this ahead of time? This wasn't <laughs>
3: even well.
1: <clears throat> it 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 used to be that nobody cared. Yeah. Until a couple of young kids were winning their classes. Oh. And it does state that to ride an enduro, you have to be street legal.
0: Gotcha.
1: Which includes having a uh, an endorsement on your license.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A motorcycle endorsement. Now most of the people that ride enduro, I'll bet. I'm willing to bet that most of the people who ride enduros do not have a motorcycle endorsement on their license. I don't
2: have
1: one. (laughs) A a, a good number (laughs) of (laughs) them. But uh, so I've been taking Nick to enduros, and in Southern Ohio, and he was uh, supposed to get an award. And uh, we went down to the award show, and uh, to the awards banquet, and. They didn't, uh, they didn't call him. And it uh, turns out they uh, disqualified him for being underage, him and another, another guy. And uh, so then he already had, uh, you start out as a C rider and then a, go to a B rider. His first race didn't have a C class, so he had to ride the B class, because it was a gnarly race that no C riders should be riding. And uh, what do you did you win that or get second?
3: We got third at that race. That was I think I was twelve or thirteen in Chillicothe. Got third <laughs> in the B class. Oh, and then uh, so then you collect advancement points as you do well mm-hmm. in the in that category. And so I was getting to the point where I was going to point out of the B class, but I wasn't. They, can, they, kept,
1: they hadn't even raced the state. Well, Correct. What, when they told him he couldn't ride anymore until he got his license, he had like uh, 50 advancement points. And when you reach 100, then you're an A rider. And then, uh, so then when he got his permit and started riding the Nationals, he had uh, a disadvantage because he's, he's doing well. The better you do, the more points you get. It depends how you finish compared to every other B rider.
0: Okay.
1: And so uh, if you reach 100 points before a certain date, mm-hmm. you bump up immediately. If it's after a certain date, then you bump up Got the to next wait, year.
0: Yeah, way so The thought
3: was to go ahead and do the National Enduros and try to you know win the B-class championship while I was young.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But... Uh, they stuck me, they left me with all these advancement points while having disqualified me from winning an award in the in the local oh, series. I got you. So okay. it was kind of, and I called and complained. They said, well, we could ban you from the AMA or you can just live with what's going on here. So I called them and they, they kind of left me with that to think about. And I was like, well, shoot. So I went on and raced the National Enduros as a B rider. This was in 2003 and I was 15, um, or no, I guess I, I forget how it shook, shook out. I guess I had maybe I must have been sixteen, and I actually skipped a race just because I was about to bump up. It's like once you start a national campaign, you don't want to get booted from your class.
1: Yeah, you, you were fifteen when you were when you were uh,
3: ride the national. Maybe because the nationals they they didn't go on the road. No, I don't remember. This is foggy. This was some yeah, time ago, twenty years ago. Oh, well, you had but, a permit, but but anyway, so I, I missed I skipped a race to not point out and claim that championship.
1: It's and, ironic because the one he had to skip. Uh, so we didn't point out before the uh, deadline was the Ohio race, or local race.
0: Oh, shit. The one right up here in two weeks?
1: No.
3: It was, no, a was Southern the... Ohio. It was one of the District 11 co-sanctions with nationals. Okay. But to bring us full circle, that season took us to New Jersey and to Louisiana, which were sand races. And I had never ridden in sand. Um, so that was hairy. I, it took me.
0: It's so different. Yeah. It is so different.
3: I actually didn't get good advice on how to ride in sand until only if we'll say it might have been 10 years now it seems recently but you probably heard of ryan sipes like one of the more badass guys on a motorcycle yeah. oh yeah because we were pseudo teammates we both rode for the he's set, the
0: done race to everything the general right? they're calling him you know yeah, he rides yeah. for red
3: bull he he was on he was riding for my team owner a year so we were sort of teammates for a minute and we got to ride together. We did sturges together. And he's and from
0: Florida too, isn't he?
3: He's from Kentucky. Oh, okay. He's a he's a good old Kentucky boy too. Gotcha. But he gave me some tips at a sand track, and it just transformed it for me.
0: Nice.
3: So, because I lived in Georgia for four years, and you we can had
0: tell us his tips. I could really use some sand <laughs> tips.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, riding the sand, I always would get far, far back on the bike, trying to like just stay away from that washy feeling front end. Yeah. But he's like, Nick, wait that front end and, and rudder it. Like it will, it will respond if you're weighting it. And I was really nervous that it was just going to fold, and I would be the first one to the scene of the crash because I was so far ahead on the bike. Yeah. <laughs> but in the turn, you weight the gas tank, weight that front end, and you you carve it. You hug the bike with your knees, and you get it to carve, and the breast of the bike will follow, and it's stable. And I was shocked at how easy it was and how well it worked. And I went on to actually be a really good sand. I would always be so. A con-
0: but uh, like on the straightaways. Get the way back.
3: Get, yeah, get back. Like you're, you're usually in sand whoops at that point. So mm-hmm. you know, you're, there's a technique to kind of skim the whoops or jump through them. You just keep your front end high and pick where you want to tap it to kind of restore your energy to the you know, back wheel. How I
0: ride my the sand. Just <laughs> once in a while.
3: <laughs> I'm curious, but also uh, horrified. No, not at
0: all like that. But. Okay, well, that makes I mean, but that's how you ride most dirt, too, is you know, get the weight on that front end when you're going around turns.
3: But I was fishing out of the water and the sand, yeah, it was always, it was always like I I didn't know how to ride sand, and I'd go down to bike week and I'd be on the podium every year at the Alligator in, in National Enduro, still not knowing what I was doing. I was just muscle through it. Wow. And so when I finally learned sand, I was like, wish we could rewind and try that again. You well, see, and I
0: did, that's what I'm saying. Like, I it, been, haven't been doing it that way because.
3: I don't know if this translates to sports to riding. <laughs>
0: well uh we'll find out i'll I'll, I'll let you know I, I mean, I think guess. it does i mean you can't the thing is that that sportser weighs so much like and I'm two hundred and fifty pounds like am i can't just me moving to the back or the side like it doesn't really
3: the percentage of bias is really not as not, not as impactful like a
0: dirt bike, yeah yeah i'm not as not as impactful
3: <laughs> there might be some impacting
1: kong.
0: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <come> <laughs> <come on. laughs> Yeah. Well, that's cool. So, when did you win your first championship? Uh,
3: and I won, you know, cl- classes. I think I must have won the B-Class at some point at Young, but I, I, I won the entire Southern Ohio District in 2005, like, a, you know, the overall, like, pro award. And I, you know, in 2003 I did win that, that B-Class championship, which oh, nice. at the time was super cool. But at, you know, at that time, I was trying to make sure I, I stuck that. But then, you know, as time rolled on, I was like, I, I should be looking ahead at bigger things. So I pursued that national championship all the way up until I think 2014 or 15. Like I rode it for darn near 10 years, and I, I was doing it professionally for a while, and I I never did win that championship. I won many races. I w- went through many teams, and I'll unofficially claim to have been the fastest guy to never win it because I. I would I would be leading the points one year and and really assert myself against a lot of the top competitors and then, it's just mistakes are, would would be made and you got to you got to be there every race you got to be consistent and I'd mm-hmm. get hurt or just when I was at my fastest I'd push too hard and I'd get hurt so
0: Jack, break your back
3: yeah so break a back break a knee
0: when did you come in and start helping your dad here when did Carl have you up here
3: I. Um, There's probably a uh, probably timed out for getting in trouble for child labor. I I worked I worked, a, I, worked a, I worked a summer as I was twelve to like pay for a first my first full size dirt bike. The, the,
1: yeah. This is a good story because okay. a friend of mine took a uh, he started out on a PW fifty and then went to a 1974 uh, seventy Honda seventy uh, made his way up to a one hundred. Uh, Dual Shock 100. He paid his dues on the old style bikes, and so a friend of mine took him and, uh, and his son took Nick and his son to a uh, motorcycle shop, and they were admiring the Honda 200. So Nick came home and said he wanted a Honda 200, which was a thousand dollars.
3: I think it was a, probably a twenty five hundred dollar bike, two thousand dollars.
1: Okay, two thousand dollars. So. Um, and he wanted this bike. I told him, well, if you come up with half of it, they'll give you the other half. So, I mean, where does a 12 year old come up with $1,000? <laughs> uh, our shop was behind the house at that time. And so he went out and uh, asked one of the, uh, the girl who works there, uh, I think it's Bobby who's over there, for a job.
0: Oh, we, we met Bobby. Okay. She's the one that just turned 21? It's her birthday. Yeah.
1: So Nick asked Bobby for a job, and Bobby says, "I suppose <laughs> he she put him to work."
0: That's awesome. And, uh, so you skipped your dad. He
1: had <clears throat> he had it calculated exactly how many hours he's going to work when to make this money this summer, and uh, he'd be so upset if uh, if he overslept or if his mom made him do something. Uh, but uh, he came up with the money, and then. Uh, well, I convinced him he doesn't want that Honda. <laughs> uh, that he wanted a KTM, which is a much more competitive bike. Yeah. And uh, Which was a $7,000 bike. Oh, wow. <laughs> but he came up with $1,000 uh, through interest. And uh, the handlebars were up to about his ears. <laughs> I'm 12, and this
3: is a full size 200cc dirt bike, dirt bike.
1: That's awesome. So when, he went, when we unloaded it, he was, <laughs> he was standing beside it holding it. It fell over, and the handlebar landed on his foot. Oh, shit. I think it broke his foot. Before this, his mom said, came out and said, He can't ride that. It's too big for him. <laughs> so uh, I told him not to tell her <laughs> about his foot.
0: What so did he, you tell her that broke your foot?
1: He just limped it off. <laughs>
0: he Nothing was wrong. Yep,
1: yep.
3: That method later through the years became less effective.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Well, Keeping stuff from your mother or just walking it off? The Walking it off. Yeah. Well, where, where this whole concept was introduced to him rolling back a few years, he's on his PW50.
3: <laughs> Not
1: he might this be. Story. He might be three years old. And uh, he's riding along, and front end washed out. He had an open-faced helmet on, and he uh, did a face planter and slid his face in the mud, and he's spitting mud out and crying. And I said, uh, well, if you ride sometimes, it uh, feels better. (laughs) And so uh, then fast forward a year or two, and he's getting pretty good on this thing going around the track and we had a platform we put up out there on uh five acre track it was a one point two mile tr- uh track on five acres so it's pretty tight windy but uh was, we decided chasing the kids around was not so fun so we put up a platform that we could sit up on and uh and, we put flags on their bikes. If the flag fell down, we knew we had to run. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, if the flag stayed down too long, very long. Yeah. So we'd sit up on the platform, drink beer, and watch the kids ride.
2: That's awesome.
1: And uh, so the flag went down, and didn't come back up. I ran over there, and he's going, oh, oh, oh. I hit my knee. I think if I get started, it'll be
2: okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I got my. I have a kid that's six and a kid that's eight, and they both recently started riding. I mean, I, and you know, I've had bikes, you know, for them at the house. I mean, as soon as I bought them, way before they could ride them, you know, a mini bike, because I mm-hmm. rode it, you know. But yeah. uh, what uh, what kind of pointers you got for me to help coach these guys along?
1: Well, first I'll just say that it's a really good uh, uh, teaches good personal responsibility. hmm Um. Kids these days aren't taught to be responsible for themselves. And uh, I just can't understand how some people think that at 16 they magically will be responsible enough to drive a car. <laughs> and riding a dirt bike is a somewhat harmless way to uh, learn that there's consequences to your actions.
0: Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, they've definitely learned some things.
1: And uh, two, two word, words of advice is uh, to anybody riding a dirt bike, ride through it, not to it.
0: Ride through it, not to it. Okay. Yeah.
1: And always fall up.
0: Always fall up?
1: Yeah. If you're on the side of a hill.
0: Okay. Fall, fall up, up, not
2: down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. It's way harder to pick that bike up. Oh, that's...
3: Oh. Yeah. I've been places where if you fall down the hill... The fall doesn't stop for, you could, you could watch your clock for a while.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and the, through it, not to, it is look look beyond where you're trying to go, especially if it's a challenging obstacle, because if you look at it, you'll get stuck on the top of it. Yeah.
1: Well, you ride to the end of your trail, and if your trail ends at the obstacle, you'll get to the obstacle, and that'll be the end of your travel.
0: Oh, well, That makes sense. <laughs> That's the thing I found myself doing last night, was not looking far enough ahead of me. Like, I was...
1: You see something, you no, say, holy shit, I can't do that. <laughs> it
0: was, it was. I was making it more challenging on myself because I wasn't planning ahead as to how I was going to attack the next obstacle because there wasn't to just continual. Yeah, like, where going.
3: you guys were parked on the road, and I went up that hill and I went over a series of logs, like on a wheelie. Mm-hmm. It's like I wasn't just looking, like, I want to go over this log. I'm looking at there's three logs, and then the hill kind of drifts off. I was like, okay, I, I need to get over those three. And so you, you connect them with a the move, or just you can develop techniques for going over multiple obstacles because it turns into a series of movements and it's a flow rather than just oh, "I gotta get I gotta get to that one log." It's like then you you can't make the rest. You obviously couldn't get over the rest of them.
1: Yeah. Which brings up another point: don't follow Nick. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, that's You'll a see good a
1: one. log and pop over it, and he's popped over to uh, to get air to pop over the next two logs.
0: Oh, yeah!
1: And you'll nose right in between them. And when did good. when did
0: you notice that he was like getting he was passing your skill set? Where you're like, well, I, I can't follow make anymore.
1: On Christmas, I don't know what year it was, but uh, we had gone out to the movies, and uh, I'd been riding. All, all season, so I was used to the snow and the ice. And uh, he hadn't been riding that much in the snow and ice. But uh, I had a few beers. We got home, and he said, hey, Dad, you want to do some laps? I said, sure. <laughs> so we went out and uh, got, uh, got going on the trail. I'm being real careful, because I know that ground is slicking hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he went flying by me, first time he'd ever passed me. <laughs> so I get to the end of the trail, and he's sitting there with his helmet goggled goggles off. And I say, let's do it again. So uh, so I got him this time, he's gonna put his helmet and goggles on, but he caught me and passed me again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, you just said, let's do it again, and kept going. Yeah. <laughs> While he off of that, yeah.
3: Running start. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> No, I stopped. And, but uh, you had to put your goggles and... Uh, so the next morning, we were doing Christmas presents, and he gives me this T-shirt. It says, the older I get, the faster I was.
0: Oh, shit. Damn.
1: That
3: was just ironic. Like it wasn't planned like that. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
3: I only believe in spoof gifts, so.
0: Well, we saw the one in the back.
3: Oh, yeah, the Bats of psychoelectric electric Defense Kit. Yeah. That's a good one.
0: Yeah, it's hard to think that there's a chance that my kids will pass me one day on a motorcycle.
1: Well, you know, every time I'd help them on a hill, I'd say, you remember this. Problem is, when he's up front... (laughs) He's gone, and he's not there to help me, so. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, I always, you know, when my kids would first start riding, and, you know, they'd fall down, my wife or somebody would run out there, and I'd be yelling at them, like, slow down, don't let the kid figure it out, like, Mm -hmm. you don't need to be there in his face every time he falls down (laughs) on his motorcycle. He's got to, like, you know, come to it on his own. Yep. Pick it up. We'll see. I really, I really hope they do pass me one day. That's gonna be awesome.
1: Oh, well, if you do it long enough, Yeah. It'll happen.
0: <laughs> good, good. Do so you guys ride on the street much? Just in the dirt? Uh,
1: used to, I used to be a 365-er. At one point I never even had a cage. Really? But,
0: uh, yeah. What was the bike of choice? Uh,
1: well, started out on a Honda 750 and then uh, moved to a Sportster. Yeah. And then... Uh, Dropped the transmission out of that. Yep, yep. Uh, that bike still runs today, but...
0: Uh, the Ironhead? Yep,
1: yep, yep. Had to put it back together. It hadn't run in a little while.
3: I rode that bike to high
1: school. Nice. And went to an FXR. And, uh, Shovelhead
0: Evo? Evo. It's an 88.
1: 88. Yeah. Which, I uh, haven't been riding it much since my back surgery, but... Uh,
0: How long have you got that one? Went,
1: uh, got it in 94.
0: Oh, no shit. That's cool. Yeah. Has it got the fairing in the bags, or is it a...
1: No, no. Got an FLH for that.
0: Gotcha. Nice. Yeah, Yeah, I had a 94 FXR, that was a fun bike. I thought I got it for super cheap. I just traded a shovel head pile of parts uh, for a running, riding 94 FXR and I knew that people liked those at the time so I thought I was just gonna sell it the next day and make a pile of money and then I rode it. And I was like, oh, this is why people like this bike so much. So then I just rode it till I blew it up and then rebuilt it and then finally sold it for about what I had in it.
1: Man, I never realized how much my eyeballs rattled in their sockets on that Sportster. And I rode it up and I bought this from a guy that would get castings from a few towns north of here, this uh, FXR. But uh, I rode the Sportster up there and uh, threw the plate on the back of the FXR, rode it home and I rode around for a few days and then uh, got a ride back up to get the Sportster and uh, that's when I found out <laughs> my eyeballs actually rattled in their sockets around that thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, they did. Was it a rigid iron head or just?
1: No, it's. Uh, uh,
0: Stock chassis.
1: It's a 79, which had the tall suspension. They only made it for six months. Really? Uh, yeah. People said it had too much light underneath it.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> it didn't catch on. Yeah. Had too much suspension.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I bet you like that coming from dirt bikes. I, yeah. I built a dirt bike out of my '94 Sportster, and uh, I I think it has too much air on. There's too much light underneath it too. Just got that center of gravity up way too tall. You know, that's one thing I wish I would have built. I was just talking to somebody earlier about. He wants to build a dirt bike Sportster, and I told him it wasn't a good idea. First off, but if you're gonna do it. Like keep it lower than what you know. It's not a dirt bike, you know. You jack it up in the air doesn't make it a dirt bike or make it more like a dirt bike. So, yeah. Well, sweet, sweet. You ever travel on those bikes? Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Do you product but, testing? Uh, oh yeah. 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 That uh, one once uh, took my wife for a two thousand mile ride on the Sportster.
0: Whoa, <laughs> yeah, both of y'all's eyes rattled loose still that one, huh? <laughs> yeah. where did you guys go?
1: Oh, down to uh, from here down to North Carolina, Blue Ridge Parkway, over the east coast, up the east coast to uh, New York, uh, upstate New York, and across the uh, top of the country. Uh,
0: That's a beautiful New ride. ride. That, I haven't ridden, I've ridden the Blue Ridge. But nothing north or east of there, or nothing north of there, really. This is the the furthest I've been this direction on my motorcycle. It's
2: Dayton.
1: Okay. Uh, We like the corner of uh, Let's see, Tennessee, North Carolina, Georgia.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful right in there. there.
1: It's uh, kind of a nice area.
0: You race dirt bikes over there too, I guess, huh? Uh,
1: No, Nick has.
0: Yeah. Did you quit racing once he started racing, or was had you not been racing for a while at that point?
1: No, I uh, I was kind of getting out of it, and then when he came on, I uh, picked back up again.
3: and. Uh, I got him to take me to all the national enduros for a couple of years and then got him in trouble by being gone too long. So. Oh,
0: yeah, you had to go on your own after that? Yeah. that's. I think that my kids, I'm going to... That's, I don't know if it's gonna, my kids are gonna get me into racing or if I'm gonna get my kids into racing by racing, but I think next year we're gonna gonna try a little series around Texas and see how it goes.
1: Kids, I'd advise avoiding motocross and flat track. Really? When they're kids, it's hilarious to watch them. Yeah. But as they get older, it's uh, two sports to get hurt on.
0: Well, They've probably done more flat track than anything, but just, you know, not real competitive, just riding around in circles because there's a track there. Yeah.
1: But uh, riding, I mean, have they entered flat tracks? Yeah. Okay. And that leads to uh, junior flat track to (laughs) professional flat track, (laughs) (laughs) which uh, is kind of unforgiving.
0: Yeah, no, I've been pushing for the more enduro the series that I'm after is, you know, it's definitely. I, I
1: know a lot of old Enduro riders.
0: That's exactly what I was saying. Yeah, just, <laughs> that's something that. Well, there's a lot of old flat track riders. Like, it's amazing how old some of those dudes are and how fast they are. Yeah. But they're all a little bit crazy, too.
1: Yeah, most of them been busted up.
0: Yeah, well, and they're just, you know, kind of like bull riders. You know, like they're just. They're not wired as good as a cycle <laughs> electric generator, you know? <laughs> You know, I don't know. We were talking about Boone on the way here, man. He's a special kind right there, dude. They just don't make them like him anymore.
1: Yeah. I don't know if it's from the bumps on the head or if the mentality that start probably, with. But. Probably
0: both. Probably both. Well, I know you guys got work to do, man. I appreciate you taking time. Okay. Let me chat. I know my listeners will enjoy this. And uh, thank you, guys. That's it. Cool.